and, and if you'll just think about your life and your challenges and the daily uh, challenges that Nancy has to face, um, and the Lord's grace has seen her through, he's going to see you through. Good stuff. And by the way, she, she's really good at answering questions. I mean, when I first met her, I had about 100, and she's so patient. So anytime you have questions for Nancy, if you see her around, she'd love to. And uh, she's just very open and honest, and uh, the Lord gets her through every day, and uh, it's, it's pretty fun to, to get to know her. Um, today's kind of testimony day. That was uh, Nancy's testimony. Now uh, we're going to uh, hear the testimony of a uh, murderer. Uh, someone who is a hitman on uh, trying to destroy Christ followers. And his name, we call him today the Apostle Paul. So uh, turn with me to the book of Acts, the history book of the New Testament. And uh, I want to show you from Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bible with you today, where a violent, brutal persecutor of uh, followers of Jesus... Um, has a pretty amazing encounter, and here's how the Lord worked in his life. He, he was on a mission to wipe out the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, Ruth's going to put it up here on the wall for us, if you don't have your Bible, but it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Just pause for a second. Damascus was about 150 miles away. Um, about a week's journey to get from Jerusalem to Damascus. So, so that's, that's how full of hate and venom Paul was towards followers of Christ. He was willing to travel a week's journey to go and and find and torture and hunt and capture those who were running from him. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus Christ, whether men or women, didn't matter, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. In Acts 26, 9 to 11, Paul tells Agrippa, um, when I was on this mission to wipe out the church, wipe out Christianity. Um, I was willing to do whatever it took. Put people in prison, he tells Agrippa. I punished and I helped put them to death. I forced some people to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. But uh, this wild, ferocious, hateful, violent tiger named Saul, at this time later he would become Paul, met the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's pretty cool what happens next. Would you look at the next verse? Verse 3. Here's what happened. He, he's traveled a week's journey to Damascus. And uh, as he neared Damascus on his journey, verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around Saul. He fell to the ground. He heard a, he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and get into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And sure enough, Ananias uh, shares with him the truth about Jesus Christ. And uh, this guy named 
Saul never was going to be the same again. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is powerful, the change in Saul. Slide down, and I want you to find verse 19, the last part of it, and let's just see what happens. Like This is like right away. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All of those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name, Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Verse 22, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And when they couldn't shut, up, shut him up, and when they couldn't beat him in arguing, uh, read on down, they, they tried to kill him. So uh, again, powerful, powerful testimony. Now, we're going to fast forward 25, 30 years. And now Paul is writing, Saul who became Paul is writing to young, timid, uh, easily discouraged, sickly guy named Timothy. And Paul has sent Timothy to repair the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus was in crisis. And now he's going to write to him and he's going to share his testimony 25, 30 years later. 1 Timothy chapter 1 starting with verse 12. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to read out loud together right now the testimony of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. Verse 12. You ready? Out loud, let's all out loud declare God's word. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the testimony of Nancy Sando. Lord, uh, she's a friend whose life continually speaks powerfully to me. And thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, as we uh, read what you did so dramatically working in Paul's life and showing this violent killer and persecutor grace and mercy, Lord, uh, thank you that it shows us that if you can save Paul, you can save any of us here today. Lord, we rejoice that you're in the business of saving sinners. Sinners great and small, sinners old and young, sinners rich or poor. Lord, you're all about reaching out and saving sinners. Help us to believe that. 
And Lord, thank you for your awesome grace that you poured out on Paul and just kept on pouring lavishly and abundantly. And Lord, that same grace is available to us. So thank you for that. And, and I want to pray specifically right now for those who are here today who need a large dose of your grace in their lives, even right now. Lord, some of my friends here today, we've had a, just an awful week. There, there's pain and confusion. There's, there's worry. There's stuff going on that's overwhelming, that's causing anxiety, perhaps even bitterness and anger. And Lord, uh, I'm glad that your grace can meet us right where we're at, no matter what we're facing. So we drink, even right now, deeply from that grace and uh, rain down especially on those who are in great need this morning. We're grateful, Lord, that uh, your, your word has power, it's alive, and, and we're also grateful, Lord, that your spirit is alive in your church today. So we welcome you and may, may the power of your word and the power of your spirit come together today in your church and do a work in each of our lives. None of us have arrived. Lord, we're all in process. We all still have weak spots. Lord, you come and speak and nudge and prompt and help us to hear clearly today from you. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with gratitude to King Jesus. Nope, stand up. Bow your heads. We're going to give that another run. That was really weak, okay? Okay. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with gratitude to King Jesus. Oh, nice job. You may be seated. I've been letting you slip these last few weeks. That was really poor, but nice job second time. Give you another run, you do well. Verse 12, here we go. Paul is overwhelmed and stunned that Jesus chose him. And if you think about where he was at, you get it. His sinful, blood-stained hands, uh, this violent enemy of the church has now become an apostle, a foundational leader for the service of King Jesus. Unbelievable. Verse 13. His testimony. Look what it says. Paul says about himself, I was a blasphemer. Anybody know what blasphemy is? Blasphemy is to insult and to show contempt and to curse the name of Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. That's the essence of blasphemy. It's when you, you curse and you throw profanity at the key, core, foundational things of Jesus and the gospel. And that's what he was all about. Verse 13 says, I was a blasphemer. He continues on. Look at verse 13. And I was a violent persecutor. Um, he was obsessed with wiping out Christianity. I, he really, his goal, his mission was, I'm going to do everything in my power to wipe these followers of this guy named Jesus off the map. And he did everything he could. Now the last part of verse 13 is interesting. Look what it says. But, but I acted in ignorance. Now let's just pause. Uh, 
Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis of the day. Um, Good chance, since he was a part of the Sanhedrin, listen, he had the entire Old Testament, or at least large sections of the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, memorized. Now look at verse 13 and and track here. And, And yet he says, you know what? Even though I knew the Old Testament, I never made the connection between the Messiah promised in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. He he says, I I really never made that connection. I was ignorant on who Jesus Christ really was until he met me on the road to Damascus. And now, look what Jesus shows a violent, bloodthirsty, blaspheming murderer and torturer of Christ followers. Look what he shows Paul, verse 14. This is cool. He says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Jim, he was so overwhelmed with grace that was lavished and poured out on him, he made up a word. There was no word for, look at it, poured out on me abundantly. That was a made-up word. Anybody ever make up any words? I'm pretty good at it, okay? Uh, But he just made this word up. He put this Greek word and this Greek word together, shoved them together, and and it just means lavished and poured out, and and it just keeps flowing more and more and more. in other words, he, he was overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus had graced him. And, and he makes this word up. And, and he says, man, it's, it's unbelievable. And he pours it out, and he poured it out on me on the road to Damascus, and he's been pouring it out on me ever since, Henry. It's not like it was a one-time thing. The idea here is he pours and he pours and he pours, and it keeps on flooding my life. The grace of Jesus Christ. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? How many of you? Okay. Um, there, there's kind of two, you know, and, and as a good American, I was cheering for the American Falls until you get there. Kind of weak over there. And, and, and unfortunately, you go over to the Horseshoe Falls, which is uh, in, in the shape of a horseshoe. Uh, man, now those, and that's on the Canadian side, those falls... That's impressive. And, and then they have these little boats that, that go and they get like really close to, to the falls, thundering, thundering, 167 feet over the falls. And, and I've always thought, Jim, you know, if, if made of the mist boats, you know, if one of those engines gives out, you know, uh, and, and you get right there, you're going to be like crushed. You were like, anyway, that's how my mind thinks. But anyway, uh, so instead of doing that, we, we went down and they've dug down and they've built a tunnel and you get down underneath and they have this like little tunnel system and there's this little porch and you come right out. Have you ever been down on the porch and, and you go out and, and, and you're like, the falls are like right there where the stained glass and I'm telling you, it's loud and it's crazy and you can feel the power and you can, you can hear it, and it's just coming over. And you watch, and the water just keeps coming and coming. And I, and I did a little research, 4 million cubic feet of water 
flow over the falls every minute. Four million cubic feet of water every minute. And, and the water just keeps coming day after day, month after month, year after year. And, and you think about it, did you know that uh, 50 years ago, the water was just flowing and it just kept coming? And, and, and that water was coming over the falls when Abraham Lincoln was president. And it was flowing in the Middle Ages, and the water just keeps coming. Four million cubic feet every minute. Billions of gallons every week. And that water was flowing when Jesus Christ walked on earth. And you think, man, it just keeps coming. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. Now go back to verse 14. Now you're thinking with me. That's Paul's point. The grace of Jesus, his blessings, his love, his forgiveness, his riches, that's grace, keeps thundering and, and overflowing powerfully in my life every single day. Track and look at verse 14. It just says it just keeps coming. It's pouring out on me abundantly. All that I need from Jesus Christ is made available to me. And there's an endless supply of patience and joy and peace and power and goodness all flowing to me from King Jesus. You ready for the best part? Ready, Trevi? And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you've said yes by faith, I believe that you took my place on the cross I believe you shed your blood for my greatest problem. I'm a sinner. I believe you took my place in the tomb and arose from the dead. If, if you've said yes to Jesus, look at verse 14. The thing that was true for Paul is true for you too. And, and that amazing and awesome grace of Jesus will just keep flowing towards you as well. It'll, it'll just keep thundering into your life. Now, now here's what I've learned about Niagara. We've probably been there, what, 20, 25 times? Um, anyway, you get a mile or two away, you don't, you don't hear the falls anymore, Henry. I mean, when you're there, it's like, wow. But you get a mile or two away, you can't see it, you can't hear it. And after a while, you kind of forget that they're even there. That, that powerful, flowing, 167-foot drop, you, you forget about it. And here's, here's the reality with, with those of us who know Jesus. Things get hard, life gets tough, painful, difficult, and after a while we get so focused, Jim, on, on, on our circumstances, we kind of drift and wander and we forget about God's grace and we forget about the love and the goodness and the power and the joy of Jesus and pretty soon we forget it's there. I want you to hold your spot and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, real quick, would you? This is like one of my favorite sections, okay? Go to Hebrews, chapter 4, because to enjoy the power of the waterfalls and the amazing grace of Jesus, we got to do one thing. We do have a part here, right? And here's our part. Hebrews 4, slide down to verse 15. The writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Aren't you glad about that, Mike? We got a high priest, his name is Jesus, and he sympathizes. Why? 
Anybody? Because he walked on earth. He felt pain. He knew what it was like to lose people he loved. He knew what it was like to face people who didn't like him, situations that were tough. He can sympathize. He can relate to us. Back to verse 15. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did it without sin. That's good. Therefore, he could take our place on the cross. Verse 16. You ready for your part? Ready for our part? Therefore, let us then approach the throne of grace with, what, is your, what does your version say? Some say boldness. I, I want to approach this throne where this king who sympathizes and relates to me, I'm going to approach his throne with boldness and confidence. Why? What's it say? So that I can receive mercy and find grace to help me in what? My time of need. Your time of need. And, and he says, you know what? I'm here, and the grace is just flowing powerfully towards you, but you got to run to me. you got to approach my throne and receive the grace and mercy that I'm offering you in your time of need. So here's my question. You in a time of need right now? Some of your things aren't going so well. Maybe in your finances, maybe in your marriage, perhaps in your family relationships, maybe your health isn't so good. Um, I don't know where you're hurting and worrying and confused or stressed or overwhelmed or maybe even angry, but look at verse 16. This is like an underlying worthy. Run boldly to the throne of grace with confidence so you can receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. I've got an announcement. Ready, Jer? The waterfall is open. Isn't that good news? (laughs) And there's no charge. And all you got to do is remember to run. When you're in a time of need, what do we got to do? I I need to run to King Jesus and enjoy his grace and mercy that will help me through my time of need. And that's what Paul said. I've experienced it, and it works. It works every time. All that I need is available to me from King Jesus. I just got to remember to keep running back to the waterfall. And here's the other thing I've learned, Lynn. Sometimes when we're young, we think, well, if things get really bad and the doctor says cancer or we've got to dial 911, then I'll go running. But guess what I've learned? You ready? Every day we have times of need. Did you know that? Every day we need that, that flowing grace. Now go back to verse 14, and that's exactly what Paul is saying. You, you need the grace. You need it every day, Henry, Right? It's that good, but we wander and we drift and we forget, and I think that's why the Lord gave us Hebrews 4, 16. That's why the Lord gave us 1 Timothy 1, 14, because I I don't see him and I forget and I get all focused on what's going on and I forget about the thunderous, awesome flow of the grace of Jesus for my life, for your life. Don't forget. (laughs) It's too important. Don't forget. And 25, 30 years later, look at verse 14. Paul hasn't forgot. He's still stunned and awed by the continual flow of grace that Jesus keeps pouring in his life. I'm amazed, he says. Verse 15. One of the greatest gospel verses in all of the Bible. 
here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now, for us, that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? John, just a little. But, but if, if, if Paul had a trumpet and he was going like, to do a, like an announcement, I, I think he would go, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Aren't you glad I don't sing to you all the time? Yeah. But, but he's like blasting it. Pay attention here. I'm about to tell you something I want you to get and I want you to hold on to. This is powerful, he's saying. Don't forget it. Don't let go of it. And here's the fact that we should never let go of. Look at verse 15. Here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, if you go back up to verses 9 and 10, we looked at this last week. The law was meant to condemn sinners. The gospel is meant for the salvation of sinners. Got that? Law is to condemn sinners, but the gospel is meant for the salvation of sinners. So, you ready? Got a few questions. Why did Jesus enter into Mary's womb? What's the answer? Verse 15, to what? Save sinners. <laughs> and, and why did Jesus live an obedient, sinless life for 33 years? And the answer is? You're getting it, okay? Same answer. And why did Jesus willingly take our place on the cross at Calvary? And the answer? To save sinners, you're starting to get it now. And, and why did Jesus early on Sunday morning, literally, bodily, physically, powerfully, arise from the dead? And the answer? Oh, yeah. It seems like that, that, that's why he came. That's why he existed. Luke 5.32, Jesus explains, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's a key thought. If you're taking notes, here it goes, okay? This is huge. No sinner is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. No sinner is ever beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Because Jesus was even able to save a great sinner. Matter of fact, it says the worst of sinners, right? And his name was Saul. And if he could save the worst of sinners then he can have mercy and grace for you and me, right? That's his point. He's not wallowing in his sin here. He's remembering what he was like before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he wasn't ever going to forget the mercy, the patience, the grace that Jesus had shown him. And he's never going to forget the daily grace that's been coming ever since for 25, 30 years when this was written later. So, we've heard today the testimony of Nancy Sando. We just uh, heard the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Um, I'd like to add one more testimony. This will be the third testimony today of a foul-mouthed, profane, proud, obnoxious, hypocritical sinner and his name is Jeff Ellis. Um, and in the flesh, <laughs> I, I still see 
that ugliness there. I've told you this story before, but maybe this, this is kind of like you'll get my story a little bit, so if you've heard this before, I apologize. But at my 10th class reunion, uh, I was informed that you are the only clergy pastor guy amongst the 700 graduates of Portage High School class of 1976. So um, since they realized somebody needs to pray, and I thought that was pretty good, they decided they were going to pray so no one would choke. Um, uh, they said, well, the only pastor, the only clergy from our graduating class is going to come and pray before we eat. And, and I'm sitting at a table way back, you know, and you can almost hear the drum roll. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Because they didn't say my name. So I'm walking, walking up, um, and, and I get up there, and, and uh, as I announced my name and told them who I was and told them, uh, there were audible gasps. There were whispers. There were, you're kidding. You're kidding. And the rest of the night, I had a steady stream of graduates stop by, and they said a version of this. Are you ready? Of all 700 of us, you are the last person I would ever think would be a pastor. And, and then another one would come and say some version. I can't believe it. I would think anybody else but not you. What happened? What happened? You know, Alice, you were the last one I would have ever guessed would be a preacher. Well, what were they saying? Because, dude, you were a big-time sinner, is what they were saying. Dude, you, you were, like, really far from, from being pastor material. I can't believe it. I guess I need to tell you I agree with Paul. I am the greatest sinner I know. I know me. I know what I was like. I know what I'm like when I'm not walking with Christ. I know what I'm capable of if I wander from Jesus and his word and, and, and enjoying the waterfall of his grace. So, here's what I know to be true. If Jesus could save a blaspheming, violent murderer like the Apostle Paul, if Jesus could save a great sinner like Jeff Ellis, he can save you. Isn't that good news? None of us here today are beyond Jesus' saving power. None of us. And it's all by grace. It's not like he looked at me or looked at Paul and said, oh, you're, you're pretty... No, there was nothing good in me. Nothing good in Paul. It was all by grace, not earned, deserved, merited. And as that fact soaked into Paul, here's how he responds. Look at verse 17. It's like he breaks into song. Good chance this was a song. So his passion and his enthusiasm flow on to parchment um, with perhaps this ancient song. Here it is. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's like Paul says, the only thing I can do right now is praise. And he praises the Lord to the king eternal, sovereign king of all the ages. And he rules yesterday and today, and how long is he going to rule? Forever. You got it. He's the king immortal. He will never decay. He will never be destroyed. He will never face death again. He's the king invisible, the unapproachable light. We just see glimpses of his glory. 
1 Timothy 6.16. He's the only wise God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Isaiah 45.18. You know what Paul just does? He says, you know, I, I just got to be praising the Lord. I can't believe it. I praise him, I honor him, I glory in him in gratitude for saving a wretch like me, Paul. For saving a wretch like me, Jeff. So, we've heard from Nancy. We've heard from the testimony of the Apostle Paul. You heard a a slight version of, of my testimony. I want to close with testimony number four. Man named John was a bad boy early on. His devout Christian mother died when he was six years old. He spent most of his youth at sea, and here's what he said about himself. I quote, I loved sin, and I was unwilling to forsake it. He renounced his Christian upbringing, and he practiced rational philosophy, and he indulged, and these are his words, in habitual wickedness. He uh, joined the British Navy, decided he didn't like the British Navy, ran away from the British Navy, they caught him, they flogged him, they demoted him, and he said, when they flogged me and demoted me, I had two things running through my brain. Either I was going to kill myself, or I was going to kill the captain who had just done this to me. Uh, It seems the captain knew He had a problem on his hands, so the captain on the British Navy traded John, and he went to work on a slave ship, where he said this, I quote, I not only sinned with a high hand, I made it my study to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion, unquote. In West Africa, he partnered with a slave trader and negotiated with African chiefs to obtain slaves. He says, I indulged in all sorts of wickedness with the slaves. And he's fairly specific, but I'll leave that alone. But all sorts of wickedness. On a trip loaded with slaves back to England, a violent storm flooded John's ship with water. And John said, I was certain that we were all going to die. There was no way the water was flooding this ship. We were all going to die. And he said, I was surprised when out of my mouth came, Lord, have mercy on us. (laughs) For hours, he fought the storm at the ship's helm. And because he thought he was going to die, he just started thinking about his life. And he said, I started thinking about my mother and the things that she had taught me and I remembered in all of my life, my sinfulness and my rejection of Christ. Miraculously, the ship was spared. And John said, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to read this Bible that I keep throwing ugly words at. And he then began to read on his way back home, began to read the Bible. And he said the story of Luke 15 of the prodigal son especially impressed him. And slowly as he read God's word, he was touched with undeserved mercy. And he said, I realized I was no longer an atheist. I was a new man. (laughs) Years later, he became a pastor. Years later, he became a leading voice against ridding England of slavery. This John has a last name, and his last name 
is Newton. And John Newton, later in his life, became a writer specifically of hymns. And he just happened to write this song that most of us know, and it's called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And, and he said, that, that's the story of my life. And, and that's why he put the words down, because that was me. That was me, he said. We're going to uh, sing together as we close. And uh, maybe now that you've heard a little bit of the story and the history of this song, maybe the amazing grace that touched John New- Newton's life and is available to us, maybe that... Uh, We'll uh, touch our lives just a little more. You just stay seated. Uh, if you know the verses that we're singing, just shut your eyes. Let, let the message of these songs soak in. Let's, uh, let's sing John Newton's very famous song together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace sing the last verse is it possible you're here and you believe the lie that you're too great a sinner to be saved just not true that's why Jesus came into the world you've heard uh, four testimonies today that disprove that so if you're here thinking no no I I don't think Jesus wants me on his team no no that's why he came to save great sinners like you and me. Or maybe you're here and you've already 
said yes to Jesus Christ, but you forgot about the thundering power of grace that's ready to flow in your life. Maybe you've gotten so consumed with the circumstances that are surrounding you, so overwhelmed with life that you've forgotten to run back to Jesus daily, some days hourly, and enjoy the riches, the joy, the peace, the forgiveness, the glory of God's amazing grace. So let today be a reminder. Oh, yeah, I need to start running back and do that daily. And then there's one last part of grace, and that's uh, what the future holds. That's what this last verse is all about. Would you stand with me as we close? When we've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the Bless you. You're dismissed.